Uh, it's, it's great to have people who are able to listen here and able to respond because it's kind of hard uh, preaching to an empty room sometimes. And, uh, you know, there have been a lot of things changing lately. Today is uh, about one week, one day after the first day of spring in Newfoundland and Labrador. Praise God. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I rather enjoy spring in Newfoundland because it kind of starts and then stops. Don't know if you noticed this. We had a really good week this week. It was very sunny. It was very uh, warm for several days. And then just as the weekend comes, we get a blizzard. And I woke up this morning and I had to clear out my driveway again. Uh, I didn't do it because the last time I cleared my driveway, I did this to myself. Um, But I did actually get somebody to have to clear my driveway. And it's... It felt bad. It feels worse, honestly, this time of year because I expected spring. I was enjoying spring. I was enjoying the good weather. And suddenly everything falls apart and it gets bad again. We know that feeling in other ways too. We are going through a year of the COVID uh, pandemic. We've had times when we were, uh, we were out of the pandemic and we were able to do uh, a lot of things that we would normally do, albeit with masks and with things, and then everything shut down again. And people tell me it was worse the second time than the first time because we had gotten some, some respite, some, some goodness, some ability to get away with, you know, hanging out with people again. And I mean, praise God, we're again in a... In a period of, uh, of, well, release again. But we know that, the, that it could still fall apart again, that we could still end up with another lockdown, another time when we are isolated again. You see, that's, the, that, that's often the problem we face. It's not so much the clear things that you know, we, it starts off bad and then it just gets better and better and better and better and then we're fine. That's great. It's also great if things get worse and worse and worse and worse and then they get good again and then it's, and it's happily ever after. That's a great situation. The hard part for us, I think, is often the times when things are bad and then they get good and we think, yes, this is the way it's gonna be. It's gonna be good now. Everything is fine. We're gonna have happily ever after now and then things get bad again. That's harder for us. And it's, it's harder for us because we don't know then what, quite where, what our trust should be, where we should be placing our trust. And that's kind of the situation we have when it comes to our relationship to, with God sometimes. I've been uh, preaching through the uh, book of Joel. Uh, I actually am preaching through all of the minor prophets, so look forward to it. But uh, this is the second one of the minor prophets, and I'm most of the way through. In, the, uh, in fact, I'm going to finish today. And I told you during the last two sermons, two very, very important things that we need to remember as believers. The first was that God is good. 
that despite the situations we find ourselves in, that despite the problems that happen around us, despite all of the things that can go wrong and sometimes do go wrong, God remains good. And more than that, and this was the second point that's also important for us as Christians to remember, especially in the 21st century, God reigns. Again, sometimes it doesn't look that way. Sometimes we don't quite get all of the reasons behind why things are happening the way they are, but God reigns. And in both cases, we see reminders of these things throughout history where God shows himself good and shows that he reigns. But the problem that we face is, like spring in Newfoundland, sometimes the things that we see God doing, well, we remember the good times, we remember the things that God has done in our lives, but then things can get bad again. I know those of you who have had to wage war with sin, which by the way, should be all of us, know the feeling. We we see in the Bible, Peter had that feeling. He he had things that, you know, he was was afraid of people generally. But after some time with Jesus' work through his life, he began to be a confident person, confident and able to see what God was doing and willing to stand up for it. But every once in a while, He goes a place, he sees people questioning whether or not he should be eating with Gentiles and he gets led astray and he gets, and the newbie apostle Paul has to tell him off. Can you imagine how that feels? I know exactly how it feels. There's a sin in my life, I fight it, I get victory over it for long periods of time. And then... One dark moment, I fall into it again. I find myself in anger at talking to people again, and, it's, and I, I walk away and I realize, my goodness, it's still part of my life. And yet God reigns and God is good. And this is the third point that we need to remember. God's day is coming. There will come a time when this will end. For those of us in Newfoundland, there will come a day when spring will come. Amen? Amen. Amen. It takes some faith to say it as we have 25 centimeters of snow on the ground right now that just fell in the last 48 hours. But it is true. There will come a day when things will be different, when God will be clear, when his reign will be manifest, when his goodness will be unquestionable, when we will be free from sin, when we will be free from our own injustice, from the injustices done to us, when our provision is handled, there will come a day. And that is the message of the last chapter of the prophet Joel. So uh, again, I have several points I'm gonna go through. Several things that I think we as believers need to remember that we can see in Joel chapter three. But I I want you to remember this one 
point overall over everything. The great and awesome day of the Lord will come. It has not been today. It has not been any day before today. But it will come. And just in case we don't understand what that day is going to be, think about the situation in Joel. I remind you about what Joel is about. It's about the time when Israel was in rebellion to God. And because of their long-term rebellion to God, they've been given over to the nations around them. And they have faced all sorts of problems. Not merely the nations around them, but also in the cases of things that they, that they faced. They've been facing famine and, and, and poverty and difficulties. It's, it's explained in chapters 1 and 2. There was a day when they were sold from their homes. They got no recompense. And then God promises beginning in Joel chapter three, verse one. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage Israel. Because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land and have cast lots for my people and have traded a boy for a prostitute and have sold a girl for wine and have drunk it. What are you to me, O Tyre and Sidon and all the regions of Philistia? Are you paying me back for something? If you're paying me back, I'll return your payment on your own head, swiftly and speedily. For you've taken my silver and my gold and have carried my rich treasures to your temples. You have sold people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their own border. Behold, I will stir them up from the place to which you have sold them, and I will return your payment on your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a nation far away, for the Lord has spoken. Today, we live in a time when it looks like God is not winning in a lot of ways. Uh, the church here in Newfoundland and Labrador is not very powerful. Most people today are not going to go to church. We talked a little bit before the service about how in some of the provinces of Canada, the premier and other people have to actually talk to the faith leaders about what kind of restrictions are going to be placed on, on the churches, and that's not the case here. It could be tempting then to imagine that God does not know what he's doing or that God is not going to bring things to pass. And yet, as happens with Joel chapter three in the first, first eight verses, God hasn't forgotten anything. God is ready to bring things to fruition and because, just because it doesn't look good now doesn't mean it will happen, won't happen. There will come a time when justice will reign. Today, we know that there are people who fight against others. We know that there's things like oppression and, and difficulties all throughout North America. And there's all sorts of fighting going on about which oppressed group is oppressed more than the other oppressed group. And then we've got intersectionality questions about which person is, is more aggrieved than another person. And 
It's so complicated and so messed up and it's so hard for any of us to really get a handle on all of it. But I tell you right now, justice will reign. There will come a day when all oppression will cease and when God will bring about fruition and all things will be repaid correctly. As, Joel, as he says in Joel chapter 3, verses 13 to 15, put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. You may recognize that from the last week's sermon. The sun, and the, moon, the sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. That's something that was referred to at the tail end of chapter 2. Something that was quoted again later by uh, Peter in the book of Acts. God will bring all justice to pass. The time will come when justice will be done. And again, just from the promises of Joel again. This is the last verse of the book of Joel. Joel 3.21, I will avenge their blood, blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. This justice will reign. But just in case you miss that, Jesus says similar things. Look at Luke chapter 18, verses 6 to 8. Jesus, near the end of the parable of the unrighteous judge, he says this. Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to, elect, to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And this is going to be something that we have to deal with. The people of Israel had trouble believing that God would bring about justice, and so do we so often. Uh, I mean, it's hard, to, uh, it's hard to say it because, you know, we want to be all accepting, tolerant, forgiving people. But let's face it, we do get wronged, don't we? We face all sorts of difficulties. You've probably got people in your head that you're going through right now that have wronged you or have get done terrible things to you. And in some cases, if, if God's been working on your heart to give you conviction of your sin, God is also, you know of places where you've wronged others. But the Lord will bring about justice. God promises it. But the problem is going to be, it's hard for us to see it. And so when it's hard for us to see it right now, we sometimes lose faith. That's why Jesus had to finish that verse with, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And it was interesting because the people of Israel at the time of Jesus thought that it was now. They thought that that was the day. There was a day where the people of Israel thought the King of Kings and Lord of Lords had come, and they were right. They saw their king riding a colt and coming in to the city of Zion, and they praised God for it. 
Luke chapter 19, verses 36 to 40. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road as he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees, yet some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. This was correct. It was good. It was noble. It was a good thing for the disciples and for the people of Israel to praise God together as Jesus came. And yet notice, it was hard for people to keep that up. As Jesus fulfilled prophecy, as he was doing the very things that would bring about the reconciliation of a people, us, to God, the people of Israel, the disciples even, would lose their faith in seven short days. By the end of this week, the disciples will have all abandoned Jesus, save for a few who stand at the bottom of his cross and weep. Some of these people who even now were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, some of them might have been saying, crucify him, crucify him, five days later. Because we're fickle people, as the prayer this morning said, we can be very fickle. But we understand what it's like, don't we? When our, our, our hopes are brought up to the highest point, we imagine that things will get to their, to, their, to their apex right now. We're watching it happen. And then our hopes that have gotten so high are dashed because it's not happening as we expected it to happen. It's harder to believe in spring after a blizzard, especially if it's a blizzard that came right after a sunny day. It's hard to believe in the ultimate justice of God when you say, when you see it's so, it's so close and then it falls away into injustice as the greatest injustice in history is done to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords it's harder to believe that justice will ultimately reign. But it will. There was a day the people of Israel didn't have anything. In Joel chapter 1 verses 4 and 5, just to remind you, what the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet line, wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. The people of Israel had nothing. Verse 17 and 18 of chapter 1. The seed shrivels under the clods. The storehouses are desolate. The granaries are torn down because the grain has dried up. How the beasts groan. The herds of cattle are perplexed because there is no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep suffer. 
But God is good and God reigns. And in chapter 3, God promises that this will change. Joel chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who dwells on Zion, my holy mountain. And Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it. And in that day, the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk. And all the stream beds of Judah will flow with water, and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord in the water of the valley of Shittim. Again, Joel 3.21, God will avenge their blood, blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. Several hundred years later, the people of Israel had every reason to believe that this was coming to pass in their day. Because there was a day about 2,000 years ago when they had a prophet, a good man, uh, uh, well, a greater than a prophet actually, who was living among them, who did miracles that defied all forms of logic. Notice that Jesus' first miracle was to change water into wine. And not a little bit, a lot. He provided mental healing, he provided physical healing to many. He provided food as God provided manna in the wilderness feeding 5,000 and 7,000. He even calmed seas and storms with his words. He told the storm to be quiet, and it was. So it's no surprise then that people believed that this was the coming of the kingdom of, uh, kingdom of Israel. This would be the time that God would fulfill all things, wasn't it? Again, you can kind of understand it on Palm Sunday when they were standing there singing Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. What they felt was going to happen Jesus was fulfilling prophecies left and right. He had powers and abilities that you could never imagine. He spoke with authority and gave forgiveness to sinners and spoke of justice, that God's justice would be done and it was happening right there in front of them. The promises you see in Joel 3 looked to be coming to pass in Jesus right then, right there. But we know that the people of Israel jumped the gun. And that they would be disillusioned because this wasn't going to develop quite as they had imagined right yet. Because there were more promises for Jesus to fulfill. Jesus would be fulfilling the prophecies of Isaiah 53 every bit as much as he would be fulfilling the prophecies of Joel chapter 3 as much as he will fulfill the promises of Joel chapter three. There was a day, Joel, in the time of Joel, the people of Israel felt God's absence. They didn't see God coming. They didn't know why, why God would allow these horrible things to happen to them. 
And yet in the midst of that, Joel chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, Joel says, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth quake, but the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy and strangers shall never again pass through it. Or again, to put it more pithy, right there at the end of the, of the passage, as it talks about his justice, I will avenge their blood, blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. There was a day when God promised that he would be with his people, that he would be present there. Hundreds of years later, there was another day. The people of God saw the King of kings and Lord of lords coming into Jerusalem on a colt, the fall of a donkey. Get it, there was a period of time that the, the minor prophets had ended hundreds of years before this. And now the time of God's visitation to his people had come. God himself was riding into Jerusalem. He would come into the temple. But not for the final time. This was just the, to fulfill more of the prophecies of God. Because again, Jesus' plans were larger than this. A great and awesome day was coming, and it's still coming. But this was mere foretaste yet. What about us? We live like this, don't we? We desire to see justice done, and so often it's not. It's easy for us then to imagine that God doesn't see, that God doesn't know. But brothers and sisters, he does. These instances where we see God coming just show that the coming of the king is inexorable. Just as the passing of the seasons are inexorable. Though we see foretastes before it comes to its full fruition. The time of the king of kings will come. The problem we face though, and it was referred to there in the prayer just before I, I talked, it's from Second Peter chapter three. Um, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus rode into Jerusalem, 2,000 years since he died on the cross for our sins, 2,000 years since he rose again triumphant from the grave. And it's easy for us right now to lose heart. Peter knew it. Look at 2 Peter verse, chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. This now is the second letter I'm writing to you, Beloved. In both of them, I am stirring you up to sincere mind by way of reminder 
that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Except they're not. And we know they're not. How do we know? First of all, because the prophecies that Joel gave were fulfilled in part repeatedly. God did call his people back from their, uh, from their wanderings in the, in the lands. They did come back because they were able to build the kingdom for Jesus to be, for his visitation. Jerusalem survived the time of Joel. The people of Israel survived that time and God fulfilled in part his promises. We can say that God has never visited his people, but we'd be lying. We look in our Bibles, we see where it happened. There's a, there's a weird YouTube cartoon talk, uh, uh, um, where Donald and Connell are t- uh, two uh, Irish peasants are talking to Richard Dawkins. And it, it, at one point uh, they say, uh, there is that time that somebody rose from the dead. And Richard Dawkins says, people don't rise from the dead. And they say, yeah, that's kind of the point. Why it's amazing that somebody rose from the dead. Well, where did he rise from the dead? In the Bible, Jesus rose from the dead. And then, you know, the, the, the skeptic, the scoffer says, well, we know that people don't rise from the dead. Well, except, yeah, this one did. And that's obviously not, and of course, the skeptic is going to say that's obviously not proof. That's obviously not evidence. Why not? Because people don't rise from the dead. That's a circular argument if you've ever heard one. But we know that people rise from the dead. Why? Because somebody rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead after raising other people from the dead. We know that there is resurrection because the one who says, I am the resurrection and the life, proved it by resurrecting somebody right after he said it. And yet it's easy for us to forget that. It's easy for us to try and minimize those points because our lives seem so much bigger and I've never actually seen a physical resurrection in my own life. I'm going to be clear about that. I've not seen it. But I've read the evidence of it. I've seen what God says about it. And I trust it. But there is more happening here. The fact that the time has not yet come doesn't mean that the time won't come. Just skipping down a few verses in 2 Peter to verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, Be clear here, this verse isn't about uh, overall soteriology questions. It's about the fact that God is taking his time because he has a plan to save more people. 
He is in the midst of saving a people for himself, and he is going to do that. So that now is the time to repent. Now is the time to come to him because he's waiting for you. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earths and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The time will come. It has not been yet. But it will come. The great and awesome day of the Lord will come. We have a seal on that. Do you remember what that seal would be? Remember in Acts chapter 2 when, they, when uh, Peter is quoting again that promise that we see in Joel chapter 2? He says that this day of the Lord is coming. This is what you're seeing Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. It's going to happen. How do I know? Because he shows it again and again. He gives, as Peter says later in 2 Peter 3, by way of reminder, to remind us of these things. We are so easily dissuaded. We so easily get distracted. We imagine that the situations that we have right now are what things really are like. Newfoundland is cold and wet and snowy, except for when it's not. But it's easy for us to forget the summer because of, the, because of our wintry spring. And the snow outside doesn't make summer any less likely to happen. It will come. Just as the evil and injustice we see today, the racism and the anti-racism, and I'm not even really sure anymore what which is worse. They will end in justice and all things will be made right. That's inexorable. Because again, as I tried to explain in the last two weeks, God is good and God reigns. So his day will come. Some days today we worry about provision. We don't know where, some people don't know where their next meal is coming from. Some people don't know where their job is going to be. I'll tell you right now. God's day will come and his provision will be complete. He's promised it, he's showed it, he's given us reminders of it. Because God fulfills his promises. He has fulfilled many of his promises today, but there still remain promises. The promises of Joel chapter three will come to full fruition because they've been repeated again, because there was another man Another prophet much later than Joel on the Isle of Patmos saw another vision. He knew Jesus. He had seen the resurrection. He knew what was happening and he said this, recording his vision. 
After this, I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude in heaven. This, by the way, is Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Crying out, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Again, remember, go back to the history where we saw in Joel, justice will be done. Once more they cried out, hallelujah, the smoke goes up from her forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who is seated on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. And and a voice from the throne came saying, praise our God, all you his servants, for you who fear him, small and great. Then what I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. His presence with God is coming, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen and bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. See, there will be a day coming. The king will come. The great and awesome day of the Lord is coming. The question is, where will we be? Brothers and sisters, don't be caught out. The point of of Palm Sunday, don't allow the many mild things that you miss take away your faith. Don't let the disappointment that comes on Good Friday keep you from understanding and, re- and rejoicing on Easter Sunday. And don't let the life that we live now steal your faith in the thing that is to come. The great and awesome day of the Lord will come. So let's put our faith in Jesus, trusting him, because this This is the promise. He is the seal of the promise. A promise that will be fulfilled. Amen. Let's pray. Loving, gracious Father, you are good and noble and powerful and you work all things to the glory of your name. By your grace now, as we we turn to praise you, as we turn to sing your praises, We pray that you would work all things together, that you would strengthen us in faith and in goodness, for you are good, and we trust, we know, that your great and awesome day is coming. As we pray in your son's holy and precious name, amen.